You guys play video games, right? No. Yes. I don't think Jake plays video games. <laughs> like you play a video game once a month and that's civilization. Dude, yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how did I get here? Um, uh, there's a, a delightful subgenre of video game called stealth games. Mm. Like Dishonored, Thief, or uh, Splinter Cell. So my oh, like Last of Us, Last of Us. Actually, you can kind of stealth around in Last oh, of yeah. Us. Oh, yeah. We Minecraft, right? Oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> All right, so when you play video games with stealth, do you sneak around and do you hide and do you stealth? Oh, no. No, I don't. Wait, what? You no. Wait, what? Okay, no. get, tell me what game it is and what you did. So I'm thinking of Naughty Dog. I'm thinking of like uh, Uncharted and The Last of Us. And whenever there's an opportunity to stealth, normally they'll show like one guard with his back towards you. Most of the time I'll just kill that one guard and then I'll just continue forward at a leisurely pace. And if someone sees me, you know, the fight begins. And I, yeah, I, I don't put that much, <laughs> I, I don't put much into stealth at all in those games. It just slows down the game to a point where it's like, I just want to have fun and have a good time. I don't want to really take my time to to be sneaky hmm wow so i think the last stealth game that i played was deus x the uh the it's not human revolution it's the one that came after it because i as you know i don't really play a lot of video games either um and that game you can play it however you want it could be like a melee guy or a gun blazing guy or a stealth guy so i try to be stealthy but chances are i'll just get caught and then wind up shooting stuff mm-hmm. so it's like stealth is supposed to be plan A, but it's really like plan B or C because I'm just going to wind up shooting everything anyway. Wow, I stealth all the time. I'm, <laughs> Wait, really? I'm practically in stealth in real life as well. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> so, yeah, no, I I love playing stealth. I think I did a like a full stealth playthrough of Fallout where I would just always sneak attack everything. Hmm. Just sneak attack the world. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that oh man but yeah i just i just love the idea of killing someone before they even have the chance to react in games oh in games <laughs> 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 welcome to vox arcana i'm william i'm jake i'm david and this is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast, episode 16, The Rogue. Before we begin this episode, I want to take us back through the annals of time to 1979, which is probably the year that the Rogue was invented in D&D. I don't know exactly the year. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. So, um, originally, the the base game of Dungeons & Dragons, when Gygax and Dave Arneson created it, it had three classes. It had the fighter, the cleric, and the magic user. The rogue was actually a uh, originally, I think it was called the thief. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a specialist class, and it was made up by some guys in a game store. Um, I think it was called Arrow Hobbies, and I think it was in Santa Monica, but I could be wrong. But uh, the point is, they suggested this class that they had been using in their game, and they told Gygax about it. And then, lo and behold, he just put it in the next version of the game. Oh, that's so And then cool. everybody played as this thief. If I accidentally say rogue instead of thief, just bear with me. Um, And so it's been in the game almost 
not at the very beginning, but very near the beginning, because people were just hacking this game and making their own house rules. And the Rogue was, um, a, as it was designed in the original game, just a um, a dungeon, a dungeon-busting machine. He had, really, um, you could climb walls and detect traps and detect doors and um, all of these very specific tasks needed for that kind of game they were playing back then, which was just a, a big dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. The rogue we have today it's no longer the thief um it's a much bigger i think a lot better more interesting class hmm Whew. wow that, any questions class <laughs> i feel very schooled no i think that's interesting that it was like kind of a the first almost dlc of of like the original that's Dungeons true and dragons that's that's pretty true it's interesting that the class was born out of this need for a a better character for dungeons because the game was all about dungeons and going through and wandering through them and this class is essentially uh, from the beginning it was designed specifically to just defeat dungeons <laughs> yeah yeah compared to all the other classes where they're designed with the world in mind as their own just unique feature this one was specifically designed with dungeons and the gameplay of dungeons in mind mm-hmm Oh, that, okay. But it has evolved and changed. So this that. this clicks so well for me because I always consider the rogue kind of a staple of of D anD D. But I guess from the beginning, I'm realizing its effect as a dungeon specialist. Because in my own one of my last campaigns, my players were um, going into the first dungeon. It's kind of an introductory dungeon. It's under the catacombs of the capital city, and so they're going under. And I'm like, oh, oh no, they don't. None of them have lock picking. There's no rogue in the party. None of them have like any specializations. Like essentially, they won't be able to get past any doors that are locked. And so I'm like, oh no. So I literally introduced a character, Vance Harper, who later became the leader of the entire Harper <laughs> organization. Uh, but he was just a, like a halfling cool. rogue that was their skill monkey that would just be able to open doors and open chests and comedically get his hand bitten by a mimic. Like, like his whole job was to make sure <laughs> the dungeon delve went smoothly. And so that really makes sense of like what wow. the rogue, how it originally started as the thief that was just kind of a specialist at, at getting through dungeons and unlocking traps and getting into hard to reach places like oh just it just makes so much sense now that i realized how i literally had to shoehorn a rogue in in order for a dungeon to help to go smoothly yeah and i think you really do need them um so speaking of picking locks and opening doors what are some defining features of rogue in fifth edition in fifth edition specifically yes i'm thinking of someone who has really good stealth Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. that's like a main thing that they're good at they're they're good at single target damage, so they'll be able to just <laughs> burst down uh, a, a single character with their with their sneak attacks. They have uh, a lot of interesting ways that they can spec, so they can be very deceptive. They can be very investigative. Um, they have they have a lot of different interesting paths that they can go down. Hmm. <clears throat> I just had a funny idea. For a rogue, um, real fast, because I'm going to forget this. Um, imagine a party that has a rogue, um, but the party doesn't know they have a rogue because he just follows them. He's like tailing them <laughs> and he puts them or he br- 
he takes them out of jams when it happens, but he just is always, he'll, it always looks like a different person, like in a disguise. Oh my. And so they have literally no idea he's even in the party. Huh. I think that goes into a, <laughs> maybe a potential problem with the rogue. Um, in that I think the rogue coupled with the ranger is one of the two classes in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons where they almost work best alone and they need a really good hook mm. to be involved in an adventuring party. Um, cause like I said, like there's still oh, saying monkey. thematically they're just loners. Yeah. Yeah. And they're normally like trying to avoid, um, detection. They're normally trying to stay away from, you know, potential people who are lawmakers or lawmen. They want to, I don't know, like stay under the radar and work alone. And sometimes if you're in a famous adventuring party, you know, it doesn't really make sense for a rogue to be a part of that. Like, it takes a really good hook for a rogue to not work by himself, but to work with a team. Hmm. So maybe he is hired. You know, he's just uh, in the fiction a professional. And he's hired a, a fee every month. and Or he's paid a fee every month and just travels with him. He's got no personal stake in the mission outside of his paycheck. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that with the rogue class in general, there are a lot of tools that you can use to hook a rogue into your game. So oftentimes rogues, they're not particularly... I, I can say they can be greedy, but they're not... They-, they always have people that they work with. Yeah. So they always have an organization or they're always for hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're always... There-, there are always ties for them in the world. If you're an assassin... You're not just like randomly a serial killer. Like you're gonna be <laughs> hired by big, bigger people to assassinate other targets. That's true. So there, are, there are a lot of you have a lot of skills as a rogue, and people are gonna want to have those skills being used. Hmm. I think it's a good point. Um, your rogue shouldn't be a serial killer because obviously there's a, a kind of a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> underpinning there that is, might be uncomfortable um but the idea of them selling this really nasty service um selling murder for hire um it really speaks to the depth of the connections that this type of character has to the underworld and i don't mean the underdark i mean like crime and oh yeah organized i almost said organized religion <laughs> um, organized crime and um anybody with power and money frankly yeah, I think the rogue requires, when you're making it as a player, like when you're creating a rogue character, you really have to talk with your dungeon master and make sure you know the world well enough that you can kind of insert your rogue into it. Because the rogue requires some sort of organizational hierarchy, maybe, that you're a part of. Or, if nothing else, it requires... Mm-hmm a knowledge of how the law works in a society to know, you know, how much of a criminal or scoundrel or how you're viewed by the law. You need to know the world a little bit. Hmm. If I was going to have a player create a rogue, I would make them create two factions and that would be the faction that they serve and the rival faction to them. Um, And that way they don't have to like ask, Oh, what factions are here? Um, they just have sort of a, a small hand in world world building. Um, the other thought that I have is rogues to me are a very urban class more than maybe any other class so far. Um, and that is, even though they were originally designed for dungeon delves, I think that they operate in more of a social domain 
in the city. They are the ones uh, maybe at parties infiltrating. Like these are these are like CIA operatives. These are like spies. They're powerful and dangerous. And they, frankly, I the more I think about it, the weirder it is to think of this kind of person out in the woods camping and eating an yeah. owl bear. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- there's a lot of different ways you can go with the rogue, which is why I think when Gygax and them were, were making advanced Dungeons and Dragons, they got this this advice. They're like, oh, that class fits because it has to be an archetype, but it has to be broad enough that like a bunch of stuff can fit in it. So a guy that's just really good at picking locks is a rogue, while also James Bond could be considered a rogue, while also like a supreme evil yeah. assassin could be considered a rogue. And all of those are very different things, but they mm. all fall under this roguish archetype umbrella that really makes it, oh, I, I really like this class. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you guys like the rogue or dislike it, like on average? So um, I didn't have any strong feelings for the rogue before this episode, but doing my research for it made me realize um, there's just such a history and depth and so many cool hooks into the world. Um, when we were doing our background discussion, we bashed on the hermit. Um, it made me realize that even without a background, just the rogue flavored alone in this game is dripping with flavor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I actually think that the rogue is probably my favorite class Whoa. in terms of design, in terms of... Wow like how how it fits into the 5e system and how it works in general i think it's probably the best design class you're saying uh, mechanically or thematically all around yeah i agree. I, I, I i love the the well-rounded nature of it i think that other classes are still really good but in some areas they lack but the rogue is just supremely well-rounded i think it, really good at what it does yeah i think it fits into the version of D like it fits into fifth edition so perfectly like just like a glove and it's weird. The rogue, I kind of agree with you, David. It's in my top three favorite classes. I really enjoy the rogue. And it's really interesting. The rogue fits really well into my type of games, which are more social, a lot of times more urban games. But when I look at my players and all the classes they've played, I've ran D&D for the past, what, like five or six years. And I've ran, you know, probably seven or eight different campaigns that were each like 12 to 15 sessions long but in all of those all of those combined players i've only had one rogue and it's just blown my mind oh my gosh and then i compare that to the amount of times that i've got to play D, which excluding one shots like two or two or three sessions those type of games of the three times i've done that two out of the three of them i've played a rogue so I'm realizing <laughs> how much I love the rogue. And like like it's it's definitely one of my favorite classes. And I agree, David. I think it's like I, I think it fits into the five E system just perfectly. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about what thieves are good for. I will uh, come out and say it. They are the sneak attack machine that just does yeah. damage consistently big hits yeah i think sneak attack is is super cool because it gives kind of the whole initiative system more of a meaning like when you're a rogue like you need to be high in the initiative order you need to be able to Mm -hmm. sneak up you need to get surprise attacks and so yeah i love it's just there's nothing more satisfying than sneaking up on someone and just getting double damage or getting a crit or just like oh it's just it's so satisfying it really is yeah, I love how the rogue can be so 
independent and yet it can also work really well with the teams based on the system. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can go behind lines and you can uh, try to get advantage that way, or you can work with your team and have the tank, you know, go up and start fighting this guy. And then you can go ahead and get your sneak attack that way. Mm -hmm. So you, you have options and working with people isn't totally discouraged for being a rogue. You can still have ways of playing, off of your teammates. Mm -hmm. or I think um, another thing that rogues are good for is essentially they're skill monkeys. They get a lot of expertise and like a lot of different skills that they can be good at. Um, and it really helps in a ton of situations. Like oftentimes you'd be like, oh crap, we're locked in this room. We need to get out. And the rogue will be the first one there with a lock pick. You know, you you'll find yourself in these kind of obscure situations and the rogue kind of always has something it can do, whether that's acrobatics or lockpicking or sleight of hands or whatever, to be able to figure a way out, which I think it could just add layer upon layer mm. of complexity and fun. But at the same time, they're not good at everything. They have a very niche set of skills that makes them very defined as characters. Like, this guy can mm. sneak, this guy can do sleight of hand and this guy can um he he does a lot of like really good burst damage on a single target and he's not overshadowing other members of the party in that he can do everything and he doesn't and he takes over the party he has his like niche the the rogue has their their niche point at which they shine but they also hmm. um leave room for other men right. other members to they shine. shine in ways that other classes specifically don't which is really cool i think the rogue why I find them so fascinating and cool is because they can have ways out of situations, specifically social situations. Like a lot of times when I'm making a social encounter, if there's a rogue in the party, I'll have to make that encounter different, you know, because they will have a lot more tips and tricks in order to navigate an urban environment or social situations. And I think while, you know, the wizard or the fighter or whatever might have like a ton of options in combat, I think the rogue, perhaps of all the classes, has the most non-combat options available to them. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. Because nobody can climb like a rogue as far as I know. Unless mm -hmm. you uh, slide a hand. your acrobatics. Yeah, they got just a cool kit. Like, it's just really great. Um, all right, so I'm going to talk a little bit about disarming traps. Hmm. In my experience with 5e, you don't really get a lot of play in dungeons. Like, percentage-wise, in official adventures, um, you're going to be underground in a dungeon, like, 20% of the time or less. Mm -hmm. um, and so, rogues can disarm traps. And we already have seen traps kind of fall by the wayside in terms of game design. There's not, they're not always good. They're often not good. But I would posit that if you are playing in my fabled urban setting that I think rogues exist in, and you're dealing with other factions that are like very powerful government types or other guilds. They seem like the kind of people who would put traps in their building. Another thieves guild would trap the crap out of their stuff, right? And that is a great opportunity for a, a rogue to be in the party to heist. The other um, idea I have is that not all traps are physical. I think there is such a thing as social traps and situations mm -hmm. <clears throat> that maybe a rogue is better at getting out of. Like... Um, a dinner party, let's say, or um, even an ambush or something that's, that's like a soft ambush, a checkpoint that's made to, to catch um, your party, and he gets you out of that jam. Huh. It's really weird you talking about social stuff again. 
I always consider the rogues as being high charisma, but that's really not necessary mm-hmm. for the class at all. No, it's which is so weird. Yeah, like I'm trying. No. Like I always just assume the rogue is a kind of a charismatic charlatan, but like in general, if you're making the best, like most efficient in combat class, like you're not gonna have high charisma at all. It's really interesting. No, oftentimes the rogue goes high dexterity and high intelligence. Yeah. Just because the investigation for discerning traps and stuff like that is really handy, especially if you don't have a wizard. Yeah. Because wizards are the only other class that really use intelligence. So if you don't have a high intellect character, you're going to be suffering on all of those skills that really use intelligence. And if you don't have any other party members that use it. That's interesting. I don't know why we keep coming back to this like perfect vision of a rogue. Like what in fiction am I referring to in my brain that is making me picture this kind of character? Maybe it is a Nathan Drake type or uh, Indiana Jones or something about this guy who jumps and climbs on things. Assassin's Creed, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Not, it's this it. archetype that is so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so ingrained, but it's like very hard to put your finger on it. Like, I, cause I'm imagining this guy just black leather, um, who's sitting in a bar with a hood on, who who just is, you know, waiting for the right coin to do the right job. And, oh, man. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. There's no, like, you can't point to a specific character like Gandalf for a wizard. Like, there's no kind of, like, Gandalf <laughs> figure for a rogue, is there? I'm trying to think. No, so I don't know what I'm referring to, like, in my brain. My imagination is just drawing on awesome things that I don't remember observing <laughs> yeah that's same, I feel same like the here. rogue is really just this uh just kind of lone wolf type that that kind of works with people reluctantly hmm. like they they tend to do things on their own and even within a party they tend to act of their own accord and do their own thing they're very they're a very independent class mm-hmm. that they work really well with other classes but those they, work they, really well alone. They they also tend to do their own thing. So the everyone's sneaking or or let's say the rogue tries to sneak through and the rest of your party doesn't and they get caught. Then the rogue's there and he can save the day because he decided to sneak and he just yeah. he wanted to do his own thing. It, it, it's interesting. It's like I don't know if the rogues are the best at everything by themselves, but like in general, I think they are hands down the best at surviving and getting out of a situation. You know, even if that's just straight up running away and hiding, like they're very Mm -hmm. good at being smart about combat and when to jump in and when to hide and when to sneak and when to jump out. Yeah. Um, The final thing I think rogues are good for is what I call unethical problem solving. And that is because of their upbringing, their life, their connections, um, they are going to be in the position to make moves that other classes just wouldn't. And um, and I think all the classes have this capability within their own little circle of influence. Like a cleric is going to have these sort of religious connections or, or like God connections. Um, but the rogue is, uh, is definitely willing to do things that the other party members are not. Huh. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because they might be indebted to a certain character or uh, a certain group. And instead of paying off that debt, they might just kill them. Yeah. They might just like be like, well, I see another way out of this problem. Instead of having to work off <laughs> or my Or just get the hell debt, out of I Dodge. Stab them. 
Uh, so Duck, dive and dot. What were you gonna say, Jake? Uh, so I'm thinking when you think of the the traditional uh, interparty or interparty like conflict, it's usually between a lawful good paladin and like a chaotic neutral rogue. Um, do you think that's oftentimes yeah. the case? Have you guys had rogues in your party that have caused trouble or have kind of gone against the team because they're how they are as a class? <laughs> yes. Really? Too often. Yeah. Yeah, I've just had rogues who just kind of abuse the sleight of hand nature of their class and they just steal things from other player just to like be disruptive. Huh. And that can be... That's more of an issue with the players that you have. But it is something that rogues can tend to do. Like, oh, I just, I steal all this character's gold that he just found in the dungeon. <laughs> it's like, well, here we go again. <laughs> um, if I recall, the only trouble that was caused was uh, our rogue player was pretty new to the system. And he wanted to do all kinds of cool flips and tricks and like shoot three arrows out of his bow and surf on a shield down some stairs. And, <laughs> and I'm like, well, you only got one action and you're level two. So, uh, <laughs> which I just hate. Like, that's something about 5e that I'm not too wild about is um, the limitations on imaginative players who don't know better. <laughs> um, I, I kind of wish the D&D worked the way they wanted it to work because it would be just like really flashy and fun. Um, not to say that it's not. Start him at level eight. Um, so, yeah, he was just, he, well, and for a, for a new well, person who's never played D&D, that's, that's just a lot of overwhelming <laughs> info. Um, but yeah, so as far as problems go, he was um, pretty independent inside the game and then just constantly disappointed outside of the game because I wouldn't let him do the cool stuff he wanted. Oh, man. So, yeah. Oof. Let's talk about the core features of the class a little bit because um, I think there's some cool stuff you can build uh, into your world and uh, and into your game. So the first thing... Everyone knows about this. It's called Thieves Can't. Is it Kant? Is it Kant or Kant? It's a I secret code. I think it's better to say Kant, yeah. Because when you say Thieves Can't, I want to say, yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So they, I gotta go, guys. <laughs> I'm at, we just, like, that was the sound of all of our subscribers just leaving. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they speak a secret language, um, kind of a street slang, uh, maybe hand motions, whatever it is in your world. Um, the one that I heard that I like is people would say the the road runs through Waterdeep, and that means that the Thieves Guild is very present in Waterdeep. All right, like so they have these cool sayings that don't mean quite what you think they mean. Oh, okay, maybe have, I, I might have been doing Thieves Cunt wrong. Is is it a spoken language? Um, I think it can be. Let me pull up my uh, thing. So up. it's like a mix of like hand gestures, like coded language, and hidden signs mm -hmm. so if you think about in fallout when you're following the railroad quest oh yeah yeah they have all sorts of signs in the world like, like actual like markings and that that's kind of um that's kind of how it works is it's it's a mix of just a bunch of like little things that help you convey messages without other people knowing yeah. interesting because in because i always viewed it as um kind of like just sign language um, and it almost gave different players that knew Thieves Cont that they could do it in like a social situation and they just have to roll um, like deception or sleight of hand or whatever so they can kind of do it secretly. And it allows basically people to metagame if they can Thieves Cont to each other during like a social situation, which, yeah, I, I, I never even thought of it being spoken. 
That's interesting. It says in the player's handbook, it's a secret mix of dialect, jargon, and code. And in addition, you understand a secret set of signs and symbols used to convey messages. Hmm. So um, I think that definitely could be sign language. Or yeah, I think, or I really think anything it's, spe- yeah, it's specifically be. vague on purpose. I like that, though. So mechanically speaking, they are good at dodging just for being thieves. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they get a bonus to that. Um, at higher levels, they get, I didn't know this till this last week, blind sense. They can sense invisible creatures as long as they can hear. And I thought that was just super cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, very useful. Yes. Uh, at higher levels, they also get something called reliable. That turns every, every time you roll um, below a nine, it just is automatically a ten. So you can no longer roll anything lower than ten, essentially. Oh, that's so nice. I think that's yeah. It just makes it so you're just but better. You're a skill monkey. Uh, and the f- oh, that's skill monkey. <laughs> um, and the final thing they get is just their core class is it's called stroke of luck. Uh, they can turn a miss that they roll into a hit, or turn a crit fail into a crit success what? once a day. What level is that at? I think is great. That's a seventeen. Okay, because yeah, that's incredible. That's so roguey, though. That's no, so. No, actually, roguish. that's a twenty. Excuse me. That's a twenty. Okay, so yeah. you'll never, you'll never yeah. experience that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I've never seen a level twenty character. In Dang, that's that's really good though. It's it's probably the most quintessential roguey thing, roguish thing. So it makes sense that it's their kind of capstone ability. Rogues have a lot of specializations. Um, I think they have seven of them, which is um, surprising. And this is across all of the content that's been released. Um, so some of this is from Xanathar's Guide. But uh, in the core book, you get the thief, the assassin, and the arcane trickster. So we're going to briefly talk about each one. Man, if you really want to have a good dungeoning class, subclass, I mean, the thief is where it's at. Yeah. They have mm-hmm. so many tools and uh, just small things that they get to their kit that just makes going through a dungeon just that much easier. And I... It's if you if you're encountering a lot of dungeons or you're you have a just a dungeon campaign, <laughs> making a thief will make your day. Yeah, it'll it'll make your <laughs> life a lot easier. Oh yeah. Um, there's one ability they get that I really love called use magic device, which I think is a throwback to old D and D. You get it at level thirteen. It just lets you understand enough about magic that you can use items even when they weren't meant for you. It says you can ignore all <laughs> class, race, and level requirements to use magic items. So, like, he can mm-hmm. pick up Acerax's staff, and he just, like, looks at it for a second, and he knows how to use it <laughs> at yeah. level 13. Like, th- that's fantastic. It's amazing because <laughs> oftentimes you you have to worry about, like, well, I can't really use this spell scroll because I don't know Arcana, so and it's going to be a really difficult check. But it, this is like, no, you just, like, it's like, oh, fireball. Of course I could cast this. <laughs> I I think when I think of a rogue, I think of the thief specialization. It just it's just like it's the quintessential Mm -hmm. classic rogue is the thief. Oh, see, like I agree, but then like there's so many more cool things in this class. Okay, so next we have the assassin. Uh, It is exactly what it sounds like. So I love this this specific specialization because it's really good at dealing more damage oh yeah you get you get a lot more damage in this class and it's all about just infiltrating and just killing a specific target that's all it and it's it's really really good at that specific thing in other areas it does tend to lack so it's not going to be as good as a thief in a dungeon 
but it's really good at dealing damage. Yeah. I also think that there's some really great role play opportunities from this. Um, and and uh, so the game design, the the perks that come with this class really speak to I think the intention underlying the the urban feel of this guy. So this is the assassin at level nine. You get infiltration expertise. It lets you create a perfect disguise for yourself. You spend seven days and twenty five gold, and you establish fake credentials of your history and your profession or whatever um, that belongs to someone else. You also get like the right clothing, letters, introduction, official looking certifications, whatever. So you can just like go and work in the king's castle. And it says this is the best, um, maybe the, the most firm rule I've read in D&D. If you adopt the new identity as a disguise, other creatures believe you to be that person until given an obvious reason not to. Which really means that they, unless the GM pulls some crap and is like, wait a minute, you're not really a, uh, you're a bear, you're a giant talking bear. Mr. Barrington. Um, <laughs> sorry, Mr. Barrington. Um, like, you're never going to be found out. You're a perfect, you're a doppelganger yeah. that is not a magical creature. Yeah, I think it's a, yeah, it's amazing. In, in addition to the assassin doing just insane amounts of damage, the one rogue that I had in my games was an assassin and he had a cool magic item uh, that was called the Scorpion's Embrace and it was a uh, bracer but whenever he grabbed something and he so chose, basically a scorpion tail would would emerge from his bracer and stab whatever he was grabbing. And so he would use that magic item coupled with all of the assassinate abilities and he could just walk up to someone in like a crowded bar and just go and they would just die. Like it was just incredible. It, it worked. It worked so well. Um, but I think that's awesome. like they can do loads of damage, especially like when they're hidden and when they're being sneaky. But I think one of the things mm -hmm. that assassins can do that most people don't even think about is using poisons. Um, I think a lot of times when people find poisons in D&D, &D, they're oh. like, okay, we can put this on maybe the archer's arrows and maybe, you know, maybe I can put it on my blade or something. But not even that of like slashing someone with a poison mm. dagger or shooting someone with a poison arrow. I love the idea of just pouring poison into a cup and like somehow switching that out for whatever the enemy in front of you or or this person in front of you is drinking. And like like having the poison do its damage that way, mm -hmm. like that is so underutilized from an assassin. Like I feel well, like I've never seen that. Yeah, in D &D. yeah, and it seems so assassiny, right? Maybe with your infiltration expertise, mm -hmm. you can you can look like an official like governor or something, even a cupbearer. Yeah, whatever. Like, does, yeah, have you a drink. With infiltrate me, a freaking like low level intern type the person in the court, and you mm -hmm. become a cupbearer. Yeah, just to poison one person one time and then just get out of yeah. town. It's so this, great. This 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 subclass just has political intrigue written all over yeah. it. Yeah. So if you're playing in a campaign that has a lot of just social aspects to it, this class is going to be great for it, especially if there's a lot of politics involved. Which is so funny because on like if you just read their early entries and you're reading oh they get like bonus damage and whatever yada yada, it's like no this is a chameleon class that can do almost anything socially. Yeah, and there, there's it's more great. of those. Later, then as you can tell, we're we're pretty pretty wild about them. <laughs> oh yeah, Jake, take it. So take this it. is the one I am itching to play the most, despite the fact that I've pretty much only played rogues uh, when when playing myself. But I just I love the concept of a rogue that has a little bit of magic that can help out in so many different ways. Like it just has so much utility layered on top of the cool things that a rogue already can do. Like think about Mage Hand. Or like a familiar, 
Like, all of those things help a rogue mm. so much. Like, I love the arcane trickster. So, and I think that I know what David's going to talk about for class features. Mm-hmm. Um, the mage hand spell is oh, man. just core to the arcane trickster. At, at level three, when you get your class specialization, you also improve your mage hand, which means it can now pick pockets and it can use Steve's tools to pick locks and disarm traps at range. So, all your class skills, like the core things you think of a thief doing, um, can, you can now do at range. That's insane. Yeah, it's insane. You can you can pick a pocket from <laughs> across thirty the from across the room. <laughs> That's so insane. That's really great. like not having to be right next to the door you're picking or the trap that you're disarming and is insane. In some ways, this is pretty useful for dungeons because you can disarm traps just by slapping your hand into it like a mouse trap, right? Like you're just disarming <laughs> it <laughs> by wrecking it. <laughs> yeah, it's. It gives the class a lot of just general utility. So once you hit uh, 7th level, you get access to 2nd level spells, which means you can cast invisibility on yourself, (laughs) which is super busted as a rogue because now your sneak attack is almost always going to hit no matter what unless they have blind sense. So it's it's super... It, yeah, it, it just adds so much utility to yourself and what you can do. A lot of spells um, that you can cast at low levels are generally good for utility anyways. So just having them in your back pocket, just being able to whip it out is just... Yeah. It's great. Um, so just one last thing about this spec, and that is at level 17 you get Spell Thief. Oh, And it just yes. means that uh, so if somebody casts a spell at you, you can do a roll, and there's a chance you can just steal it from them. And you can <laughs> cast it for the next eight hours, and they can't. That is just asinine. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Like, imagine, um, I guess I can come back to Azerac just because he's like the, he's on my mind for like powerful liches. Yeah. But he casts Wish on you, and you just somehow, I don't know how, uh, you just airbend the spell away from him and put it in your pocket. Or even just like power word kill. Or at least later that day. Yeah, like any major high level spell, like meteor shower. You're just like, oh, I'll take that for eight hours, friend. It's just like, <laughs> wow. I yeah, that's that's incredible. I, I in some ways oh. the class is the class is a little more lighthearted, I think, because you're you're doing sillier things with your mage hand and with just tricks in general. You are a trickster, um, and I think that that theme is really well represented here. Even yeah. stealing a spell like mechanically is very powerful, but it's also very silly because I don't know how a regular not like barely magic using person can snatch a spell away from a powerful magic user. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. That's the theme of my. Uh, of my game i feel like it's a little more like it's really dark in some areas but like i don't know i feel like an arcane trickster would fit right in with kind of the wildness of magic like yeah i love that (laughs) yeah what's next all right um and now we're getting into the xanathar's classes from xanathar's guide to everything um the first is the inquisitive and as far as i can tell this is just when you think of a um inquisitor just any very powerful, perceptive person who's very intimidating. Mm. This is that for a rogue. Um, like I, so, case in point, at level three, um, it's you get a, an ability called Ear for Deceit. And it makes it almost impossible for people to lie to you convincingly. You can see <sighs> right through them. I, I just love this this class being a like a, like a detective. Like they're just trying to root out... Um, Almost, almost an anti-criminal 
association rogue where they're just trying to get out like everyone who's in the thieves guild like they're just trying to route everyone who is a part of you know the assassins guild or anybody who's like being a criminal that's really cool so actually i think that they would probably be high up in a criminal organization just to spot other treachery from the lower down uh, minions in the different cells yes and or he sits at the right hand of a king and he's like no that guy's lying don't trust him like there's just it, it's a totally different direction for a rogue and it's very um exciting i think yeah, yeah like i feel like social situations change if you have an inquisitive rogue in the party like a lot like there's mm-hmm. so much they can discern and so much they can do but they almost have to be in a position of power to kind of utilize a lot of their skills it's just oh it's just so Mm -hmm. intriguing like i i just want to see this in action yeah i've never seen it played um imagine taking three levels of rogue to get inquisitive and then the rest of your levels are in paladin so you're just this powerful incredibly perceptive um person with a background in um in crime and oh, yeah uh, stuff like that oh what an interesting combo i love that mm-hmm. yummy all right next up is the mastermind i call this the social thief hmm. and the master of intrigue very cool yeah i really like this one and this one and the last one so the mastermind and the inquisitive i think are going to fit so well um into wizards of the coast new uh fifth edition stuff that they're putting out their new adventure module uh for dragon heist in Waterdeep. um i feel Mm. like that's going to be a much more social much more urban game and i think rogues in general would fit better into it but the inquisitive rogue and the mastermind rogue oh they're like almost tailor-made for that campaign yeah this is the uh what i would call the the oceans 11 like (laughs) class where they're just they're the ones who are planning the heist they're the ones who are running the show yeah Mm -hmm. that's good Uh, like i think if this person was in the party like they would basically be the face or like the leader of the party you know like they would have to be they would have so much control over everything like like oh I, i love the concept um, so they, I feel like their moves are not quite as powerful for their, their bonus class or their, um, specialist class. Um, but I know at third level you get what's called master of tactics. It makes it so the help action is now a bonus action and you can use it up to 30 feet away. Oh, that's so incredible. this represents you just like commanding people. I know it's great. You command people on the battlefield to attack this or do this and they have a bonus to that. And I think it's just, it's thematic and it's pretty useful. Yeah. I'm just imagining almost like Batman where he's not necessarily the most powerful character uh, in and of himself, but he's great at just being a tactical mastermind and guiding people on how to win a fight. Oh, yeah. Um, and at the very the last thing they get at level 17 is called the Soul of Deceit, and it just means you can't have your mind read unless you want it to be. And when it does happen, you can present false thoughts with a saving throw. Um, and also magic cannot determine if you're lying so you're just this this iron fortress of a mind that uh is just oh. immune to the world and i think in a world like D where you have magic um this would be really powerful because oh, imagine I... um you could have a major plot point built around like information you've gotten from the mind of some powerful person and you find out halfway through it's all been fake <laughs> like, he he is trained for this yeah like i feel like this fits really well for a bad guy or even just an npc 
to be able to, I don't know, have so much social control over the organization around him or just even around like the city, just like having so much manipulation and control like, oh, I can already imagine an NPC in Waterdeep that's just going to be really messing up the, the party's plans. You could make this guy be your big bad villain. And he's just a player character class that you've leveled up to like 17 or 20. Yeah. And uh, and you're just playing him the way that he would uh, naturally react. Like maybe yeah. he was a, an ex-adventurer who's everyone he knew just sort of died or fell away. And he's become the head of the Thieves Guild and... Um, and he's just untouchable. Yeah. And brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Got to calm down on this one, guys. Um, next is the Scout. Um, this is, I keep saying that the Rogue is more of an urban uh, class, but mm-hmm. it looks like the Scout is making an effort to return back to that wilderness explorer, which is really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so this is basically uh, just what the Ranger class should be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a more interesting Ranger. Yeah. Without a pet. Yeah. But you can always get a pet. This one's really uh, interesting. We'll, we'll probably... Yeah. I, reading through it, I wasn't too excited um, until I was reading other people's comments on D&D Beyond about how they would build a scout. And apparently the mobility you get, because they get a lot of movement bursts, yeah. um, combined with a monk is very powerful. Oh. Which is just cool to think of, that they're moving like mm-hmm. 60 feet without even running in a round. Yeah, the, the scout is a really interesting like navigation class like they they're really good at just going ahead of the party and just seeing what's up they're finding traps remember mm-hmm. that are not necessarily tiger traps these are yeah. dangers ahead yeah i i love the I, I love the scout but only really if it's multi-class with something like a monk or just like a standard fighter like i feel like a scout would be really good and then it would have to be a oh, specific yeah. campaign where you're kind of in the wilderness and a lot of times, like, when you're making a character and the DM, like, the DM will know the campaign and know the setting. And so he can kind of work with the ranger and be like, yeah, you don't might want not want to pick this favored terrain because we won't be there all campaign. So using that same thing, like, I think if you talk to your DM and realize it's a more wilderness-focused campaign, the scout is a really cool option. Mm-hmm. And then the last one we have is the swashbuckler. This is your... Um, duelist focused pirate kind of um, <laughs> rogue very unique feel yeah this is the the johnny depp character it, it's in 5e it's weird because i almost think of it not even like it's called the swashbuckler but none of it none of its abilities have to be pirate themed like it it's just kind of a charismatic dueler and yes. a lot of yeah. it, it gets maneuvers and a lot of like bonus to dueling. And you, you, like you can add your charisma to your initiative role, which is, is pretty cool. Yeah, I find this one fascinating too. I would love to see this in action because it looks like just so much fun. Yeah, it, it seems mechanically underpowered like reading through it. So I'm, I, I would have to see it out in the wild to really give it a good uh, judge. But like compared to how excited I am for the assassin and um, basically everything else, um, like you get the ability to uh, what is it? Fancy footwork lets you move without triggering an attack of opportunity against a creature you attack that turn. I'm like, hmm, all right, um, but you're right. Like it has all these plugs into charisma and uh, and just kind of moving quickly and dueling. Um, I'm I'm weirdly not that excited for this. Yeah. Okay. It's so it seems pretty strong. I, I like the idea of it soloing someone. 
and like like it almost can yeah. work as a tank not not even a tank more like a crowd control distraction like aggro absorber <laughs> like it can basically call out an enemy and that enemy will look at him and like it will compel that enemy to duel him and mm-hmm. this swashbuckler can can do all sorts of stuff and and survive that but the whole time maybe he's just trying to keep that enemy away from his comrades until they can help him out that's yeah, true that's it, cool. it almost reminds me of like a like a way of the drunken fist monk where <gasps> oh yeah you're just, you're just yeah. kind of a distraction <laughs> yeah and you're just like kind of bumbling around <laughs> and just waiting for your team to finish them That's off. a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah. It's also important to note that as far as I read in here, um, at level three, you can use sneak attack without needing advantage, oh. which no other rogue archetype got that. I thought that was really unique. I want to see this. And I think the rogue as a class, the more I'm looking at it, like each of these I want to see. Like, oftentimes, yeah. if we're looking at a class and all of their subclasses, like, there's some, it's like, okay, cool, yeah, whatever. But, like, all of these, you know. Even the ones I'm least enthusiastic about are still amazing. It's just intriguing. I, yeah. I want to see them. I would love to see them. Like, if anyone picked, you know, a swashbuckler, I, a I would be happy. Seven thieves on the yeah, town. seven oh rogues, man. I love that. That would be, that'd be cool. The seven, the seven seas, thieves. <laughs> yeah, that'd be your, your gang. But we've talked a lot about what we like about the rogue, but what are some downsides to being this class? So the rogue, like ah. like downsides to playing the class or? Uh, yeah. I think, well, downsides to playing also versus downsides is of being the dungeon master. Like I'm thinking in terms <laughs> from the dungeon master, like if a rogue is in your party, it does change the game substantially because the rogue is inherently I don't know if this is always the case, but generally opposed to power structures and is kind of working in the shadows and doesn't want to reveal what his intentions are. And so the rogue essentially like might try to do things that other classes won't. And you as a dungeon master have to be like open to that and have to, to really realize where the rogue can potentially be like, well, why don't we just kill the guard captain? You know, <laughs> whereas a lot of other classes, you can kind of keep yeah. them in their own uh, play the nice. Rogue, yeah, the rogue has a tendency to go off script. Yeah, yeah. I think that the rogue, if you're playing a rogue, probably the worst thing about the class is that you don't have a lot of AoE. So mm. you're not going to be able to attack yeah. a lot of enemies. It's single you target. attack still. And all of your damage is focused in your, your one attack. And if it hits... It's big. If it doesn't hit, then well, yeah, in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, so going back to a little more of the RP angle of the the rogue downsides, I think that um, a good DM would work with a player and come up with some just truly scary organizations. So oh yeah, um, it's easy to imagine a thieves guild working kind of like Skyrim, where um, you know it's ultimately it's like a PG thirteen rated thing. Um, but if you you could make your thieves guild more like the drug cartels from Breaking Bad, like these are oh, yeah, yeah. dark people, scary situations, and they they just kill Power hungry. whoever gets in their way. Uh, yeah, and I think that that'd be a, such a good hook into the world of just maybe this thief owes a lot of people a lot of money. He could be on the run, and he's he's compromising the party's safety just by joining them. Maybe that's why you join them. In the yeah, party. I think that's one thing to consider if there's a rogue in your party and maybe even you're another player, that rogue will most of the time have baggage. 
or secrets or obligations mm, to shady organizations that you don't know about. <laughs> and so it is imperative to almost try to figure out like, all right, man, who's after you? Or, you know, what, what? who have you wronged in the past to try to figure out, like, yeah, there's going to be some plot points in the future where these big, bad, scary organizations will want something. There's a debt to be paid or an obligation owed. And and those kind of organizational things are could be a con for the rest of the party because they're kind of dragged into this, this mess that they didn't make. Yeah. But, but very much a pro for the dungeon master who now has all of these hooks that he can use to reel back in oh, man. all the time. Um, I would love to see the first mission be um, essentially a con that the thief has pulled on the rest of the party. Like he needs their help doing something that seems innocent and totally justifiable, but he's really just r- putting them into a compromising position where now they are also being chased by <gasps> oh, their cartel. They're suddenly in the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. And it, it's such a, a great way to just um, draw them in. So instead of the, the rogue player having to make up a reason to go along with an otherwise pretty decent party, now you have a reason for an otherwise decent party to be dragged into the rogue's crap. <laughs> oh. Like he's like he's hired these guys to, to steal from this cartel, but... He doesn't say that it's a cartel no. that they're stealing from. He just says it's like an easy like heist. And then they find out it's a cartel afterwards. And now they're just running. Yeah. See, when I now that I'm thinking of the rogue, I'm thinking conceptually. I'm thinking where my influence truly comes from is the two guys from the road to El Dorado. This could be our destiny, our fate. Miguel, if I believed in fate, I wouldn't be playing with loaded dice. Like, those two characters are the most roguish people I can think of. Like, they're just, like, forgetting their own lies and getting caught up in things and organizations that they they don't know anything about. And they're just being, like, kind of, I don't know, they're they're just trying to rogue their way through, like, huge historical events (laughs) and just kind of getting caught up in them. Like, oh, they fit so much as rogues. I couldn't agree more. So I think we've already talked a little bit about the kinds of adventures a rogue can get into in fact like i I probably should just sit down and write a book like a series of short stories about a guy getting into trouble Um, (laughs) but let's talk about the urban jungle Mm. what a what a what a fitting place for a skill monkey (laughs) yeah that's where they live (laughs) that's where they live eating skill bananas all day Um, all right, so I have a few thoughts here, and one of them is that civilization is a great place for bad people to hide. Yeah. And I think that just bad people are a great motivating factor. Um, you can build encounters around this. Um, I think if you're going to build an urban campaign, then you're going to necessarily not be fighting monsters as much as humans who are monsters. And that's a very different tone, because this is no longer like killing a goblin who doesn't have a soul and doesn't matter. Like... These are real people with families and lives uh, and also a lot of crime, mm-hmm. crime in their crime, their life. Yeah, I think another another key thing to remember um, if you're playing a rogue uh, is just to ask the dungeon master when you're in kind of when you enter a new, maybe not necessarily even an urban environment, but just any civilization or any any new place. Just asking the dungeon master and saying, do I know anyone here? I think that's a great way mm. to hook yourself into the world even more and for the dungeon master to be like, oh, I can introduce this NPC that way, you know, and for you to kind of have like, you know, just seeing someone and being like, oh, Al, 
you look different. It's been too long. You know, just like that. It's like, okay, there's That's there's the old, there's uh, history. Lando Calrissian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How you doing, you old pirate? So good to see you. I never thought I'd get to see you again. Well, he seems very friendly. Yes. Very friendly. <laughs> yeah, and just like having that shared history in the world, um, you can really, I don't know, it fits so well, and it can seed a bunch of future plot hooks or or time or uh or different quests or whatever hmm. and then uh you can also if you want to make it hard on your players you could make every town you go into um not only have a familiar face for your rogue but uh it's a familiar face who the rogue owes something to oh yeah oh, man so yeah. you always have just great reasons for plot hooks he's like hey look you owe me three it'd be a lot like 30,000 gold go into this crypt that we know is haunted and give me all the treasure you can because you owe me and I'm just gonna break your legs if you don't <laughs> and the rest of your party's legs and you got a cleric so it's gonna be super easy like go do that and you have these uh, these built in hooks like uh, yeah I'm I'm wondering if the rest of the classes um, that we cover on this podcast are gonna be so easy to build quests around hmm. I think some of them have good good quests More like long. Paladin but mm. the rogue definitely lends itself to bringing uh bringing you into the world yeah so someone needs to explain to me how to get advantage in the rules as written for a rogue to get a sneak attack so you don't need advantage to get a sneak attack you just need to either have someone within five feet uh, like an ally Mm -hmm. who's there so that you can you know wander around behind and get the sneak attack or you need advantage okay huh so you need to so you, you need to have the upper hand in some way when fighting so that when you're when you're dueling this person you can strike them in a manner that is more debilitating hmm. so um something that i'm i'm really learning about dnd uh these days is just how little i have read or how little i remember of the rules <laughs> um apparently i i read it back in what 2014 2015 and i internalized a lot of it and then i just made up my own rules for a lot of things and i didn't bother to look it up so i'm i'm learning and appreciating a lot more about 5e doing this series yeah i think another system thing part of 5e is um they leave the rules of stealth a little bit vague and i think they might have done that intentionally um because they had some real complex system of how stealth worked uh it might have been cumbersome um, but like, there's a lot of kind of leeway of like, okay, it's a rogue in broad daylight, uh, who's trying to roll stealth with no cover. It's like, do you just make that check like a 35 mm-hmm. or like, like, what do you, what do you <laughs> do? And so, so it kind of, um, it, I think it relies on dungeon master interpretation and, uh, leaves a lot up to the dungeon master to determine how stealth works. Um, in order to not make a rogue broken, you know, cause a rogue can just run out into the middle of a field and suddenly he rolls somehow like a 29 stealth. It's like, okay, do you let him just disappear? <laughs> like it, <it's laughs> I would, um, so it's important to remember that stealth is not invisibility. Yeah. And a lot of players I've seen treat it like that. Yep. And I, I I feel like it's from world of Warcraft where you press a button and suddenly, Oh yeah. Invisible. That's what the rogue literally anyway. does. Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. It makes that that sound, you know. Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so you really got to plan around that and just be very clear with your players, explaining like you're not invisible, like you're hiding behind something. 
you're physically still there and visible. Yeah. Maybe you're a contortionist in your background and that might give you a small boost. But otherwise, like, unless you're cramming yourself into a, a tiny crate, um, yeah, you can't hide it just anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen the the newest Avengers movie, a lot of rogues tend to think that they're Drax when <laughs> yeah. he says, I'm not moving so you can't see me. Yes, that's so true. <laughs> And that's just all rogue players in 5e. Yeah, I would agree. And that's just not how it works. Yeah, I I think this just requires some more communication on the dungeon master's side. Like they have to be like, all right, listen up. This is what stealth is. Um, Explaining to new players like it doesn't just you don't snap your fingers and roll a high roll. You know, even if you roll a nat 20 on stealth, like, that doesn't mean you suddenly become invisible. Like, you have to justify (laughs) how this happens, you know? The same thing can really happen anywhere, you know? Like, say, the charismatic bard walks up to the king and says, I want to be made prince, and rolls a nat 20 on persuasion. That doesn't make him the prince, you know? (laughs) Like, you just have to explain what skill checks are and how some things require a skill check that is just so high that you shouldn't think it's possible sometimes you know or maybe not even letting them roll yeah i think that (laughs) so if if we're extrapolating what it means to crit like if you're swinging a sword at someone and and a crit is you doing the most damage as possible for you to do that's still limited by the strength of your arm and your body and and your Your weapon weapon, yeah and so if you're assuming you're letting people crit skills like you go up to the king and you were the most convincing and you say the most convincing thing you could say it's not going to convince him yeah because you're not magic. You're just like the best you could have possibly done. Yeah. Hmm. So I think, yeah, the stealth for the rogue, it just implies a little bit of uh, communication. But other than that, I don't think that's a real flaw of the system. I think the vagueness of the rules is sometimes uh, more beneficial than like a hardcore crunchy system would be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, just in general, the rogue class is so well designed and you can tell that there's been a lot of work and care put into designing the features and all of the numbers balancing that it's just a it's a very good class mm, yeah mm-hmm. yeah i, I would yeah. agree and that's coming from david who doesn't even like dnd yeah <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i hate it <laughs> no but it's it's a great class what type of person should play a rogue who would enjoy this the most hmm i think a rogue requires a player that is creative Um, I think in order to make the rogue shine, you have to build encounters in such a way that there are different things for the rogue to do because they might not necessarily survive in like a full-on bloodbath conflict, you know, in in melee. So because of that, I think you have to to provide a lot of different cool things for the rogue to do. Um, And a lot of those things shouldn't be obvious. And so I think it it takes a creative player to play a really good rogue because they can make use of some of these uh interesting scenarios or cool encounters where they can um you know maybe sneak across a an area and then do an attack from behind or planting poison on the person you're supposed to kill later on or you know even just swinging from the chandelier and doing a backflip and, and sneak attacking from above like all of these things require some degree of pushing a system to its limit and and really being bold enough to try to be creative and see what they're allowed to do in combat so i think it takes a bold person and a creative person to really play a good rogue 
Yeah, you definitely have to be on the more crafty side of things yep. to really mm-hmm. take advantage of all the rogue that all that the rogue has to offer. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot a lot of things that the rogue has to offer, like being being very sneaky, being very um, deceptive, utilizing sleight of hand. If you like, if any of that appeals to you, like the rogue is going to be great specifically for you. If you like to just deal a lot of damage, the rogue's great. Uh, if you like to uh, be very investigative, the the rogue can do that as well. There's there's a lot uh, that it has to offer in those areas. Hmm. Yeah, this is all really good stuff. Um, I'm just thinking that, so maybe there is a ideal player, but I think the ideal player can play any class perfectly. And in the case of the rogue in the game, the character might not necessarily have a good reason to be with the party, or he might drag them into his complicated life. But I think the player is really focused on these big solutions uh, and this moment-to-moment innovation, um, you know, climbing walls and casting your weird distracting spells and whatever it may be. And um, I think in the hands of a really competent player, it would just be the most fun to DM for. Yeah. And also to play, uh, at least as far as the classes we've talked about so far. I'm probably going to be just a huge fan of all the classes by the time <laughs> we finish this series. Because uh, right now, Rogue is definitely my favorite. So what are some potential like character concepts you can think of for for Rogue? Like thinking backstory... Maybe even multi-classing. <laughs> like, what are what are some cool <clears throat> concepts you can think of involving the rogue? Um, so, I in the Sword Coast Adventurers Guide, they have a background called the Cloistered Scholar. It's kind of like a hermit, but a little more of like a library bent. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I would do a, a Cloistered Scholar, Rogue, Assassin, and that's basically so I could play Daredevil from <laughs> Marvel's Daredevil. Oh yeah, I mean that <laughs> he could even be blind. Then I'd have blind sense. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Oh, I love that. So uh, one of the characters that I've been thinking of is uh, you could almost have, kind of like in Game of Thrones, a character who has is the, the mask of many faces where you have a, mm. a really good assassin rogue where you, you kind of just don't even know who their character is oh, just because yeah. they're always wearing a mask oh. and they're always just deceiving people. And yeah, the, the character that you're interacting with is kind of a mystery because... You don't necessarily know what they want. That's really cool because um, I, one of these subclasses gives you the ability to perfectly mimic mimic other people with their voice the and assassin. manner. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> you could be a man or a woman, um, or maybe even a different like race of creature, like a goblin. I don't know how far this thing can go, but um, you're right. Maybe you're playing this old elf rogue who's so old they've forgotten who they really are, and they just exist and they kill and they. Disconnected oh, from the world. I, I love the concept of that of like putting it in a game of like the characters meeting all these NPCs they love and like some they hate and then at the end like towards the end there's a reveal that like oh three of those NPCs were the same rogue that was just like putting on different faces oh my god and it's just like that would be so cool I love that mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. for me that's a great uh, archetype I think for me a cool uh, concept I can think I think I've, I think I I think I've mentioned it before um, is a lawful good rogue um, that would be basically an assassin for a church so like some lawful good organization like the the very um, you know hierarchical uh, almost government backed church would like 
put marks on who they deemed like evil, like maybe like cultists or like dangerous people. Like they would put marks and then be like, okay, this person needs to be killed for the good of the realm. And so you would basically be a church assassin and you would be a rogue, but you would be a lawful good (laughs) rogue. And so I feel like that would be so interesting. And also if that was aligned with uh, a chaotic neutral conquest paladin. And so you really just kind of flip the traditional trope of like the lawful good paladin, the chaotic neutral rogue. You just flip those. So you have like the the church assassin lawful good rogue and then like the pure conquest, almost murder hobo-y paladin. I I love switching that. That's really cool, Jake. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's enter this week's question vault. This week's question of all is, do you use miniatures and maps hmm. or M&Ms? <laughs> They're not called that. <laughs> I love M&Ms. <laughs> uh, miniatures and maps. Um, miniatures do. talking about like tactical battle maps. Oh, then, then no to both. I'm more theater of the mind, as many of you uh, mm-hmm. might be able to guess. <laughs> well, you're saying you're not a tactical kind of DM, Jake? Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Wow. Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my answer is uh maybe like kind of the last two and a half games I've run. Um I have a big erasable um battle map. It's a good size. Um and but I don't have miniatures, I just have a whole lot of dice, and so I use those to represent the figures. Um, but all that I I would only use that for like the bigger, major, more detailed combats. Um, like we had one that was in an arena that could rearrange itself to all kinds of different terrains. Oh, cool. And yes, that is based on the Super Smash Brothers level um, <laughs> Pokemon Stadium. <laughs> yes, that's funny. Um, that's except funny. the the <laughs> consequ- or the circumstances were much more dire than your average Pokemon battle. Um, but yeah, so I, I sometimes I do. Um, lately, I have not, just because. Um, there's a tendency, I think, to get really attached to a setup that you have designed, especially doing 3D terrain, because um, hmm. you you have a very specific encounter or or space that you're going to put the characters in, and if something happens where those characters deviate and they're not going to wind up going there, like you wasted hours <laughs> of your life, and that's and potentially and, and money even for just a dry erase map that you pre-draw. Yeah, you lost it all. Oh, Ooh. so no, the answer is not really. Yeah, I don't really use them either. Um... I I've just been going away from the gamey nature of D and D recently, so it I find that it oh, wow. tends to slow down the game, and it tends to just take a lot of prep time because you have mm-hmm. to map out the exact dungeon, and when you don't constrain yourselves to a physical map, you can kind of get away with just having very nice, concise verbal descriptions that don't really need a a map drawn with them to make sense. I find that um, a lot of times when you have a map, especially like a pre-printed one that's very detailed, let's say it's of a tavern, um, players will move their mini to some location and they say, okay, what's this here? I want to jump on this table. Whereas if you're doing theater of the mind, you don't have to specifically detail every single thing that's in a tavern. They say, okay, is there like a bunch of bottles behind the bar? Like, yes, there would be. You don't have to draw them. And if and even worse, if they're not in the drawing, then the players aren't going to think to use them a lot of the time. Uh, yeah. And so it becomes more like a board game, and I like the freedom of theater of the mind more. 
Yeah. Theater of the mind. So, okay, I, <clears throat> I agree with all that, but let me change the question. If you had unlimited money, would you use miniatures and, and like, designed sets? No. Wow, okay. Very limitedly. Hmm. Yeah. I, I would only use it in just, like, very climactic encounters. Yeah. Where I really felt like it would add to the game. Like, and most of the time, I don't feel like it adds to the game. Yeah, I think the you're right. It is rare, and I think it, yeah. Even if I did have unlimited money, I mean, if I did that, it would be more for just having all those cool miniatures. Um, but yeah, I, I think the theater of the mind can work really well, unless you have just an unwieldy party. You know, it's like eight people playing. Um, I actually saw Matt Mercer in an interview. Yeah. Uh, he because because I always thought yeah he's more of a theater of the mind guy because I'm listening to the podcast. But then I saw one of the streams for Critical Role and I was like, "Oh, they're using a battle map and everything." And I was really surprised because I was like, "That doesn't he doesn't strike me as that type of dungeon master." But then he said in an interview, he's like, "Yeah, I never use this. Um the only reason I do is because there's eight people in the party and I I can't mm-hmm. like I literally will lose track of everything. Like I have to have them set up. So so unless I had a large party, I don't think I ever would. That's, yeah, that's true. And because when you think eight players, like how many monsters do you need to challenge a party of eight people? Yeah, and, yeah. and it would break down in the theater. So I, I, sure. I think the one <clears throat> instance, if I had unlimited money, that I would use it is for boss battles. Because if you guys seen the videos on like YouTube and Reddit of yep. like, uh, you see all these people around the table and they're trying to stop the cultists from summoning Tiamat. And then you see the dungeon master pull out this massive, you can't even call it miniature, of Tiamat. And they just slam on the table. And all the players are like, no! No! Just this huge <laughs> Like, oh the moments God. like that, just so funny. Oh, <laughs> oh. That's terrifying. That is our vault. Every week, we read our favorite five-star reviews from iTunes. This week's review... So this week's review comes from Five Star 101 Guy, and it's titled, <laughs> Finally. Great to finally find a good D&D podcast. Keep it up. <laughs> Thanks, Five Star 101 Guy. <laughs> Wait, did, do no other good <laughs> D&D podcasts exist in the whole world? It's classic Five Star 101 Guy. Does it again. <laughs> all right all right thank you for listening to vox arcana episode 16 i'm william i'm jake and i'm david we'll see you next time you can follow us on social media our twitter is vox arcana pod facebook and instagram are both at vox arcana podcast and you can email us at vox arcana podcast at gmail.com Remember that theft will no longer be considered a crime in the year 2020.